You're listening to the Tap Baseball Podcast, hosted by Stephen Strike. Welcome to the Tap Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Strike. This is Season 1, Episode 4. I'm here with a couple of guests. Um, first off, Jared Crum, my, uh, my business partner, co-founder of Tap Baseball. He's going to be joining us today uh, because our guest uh, on this episode uh, is his former coach, Todd Poltersdorf uh, from Sussex County Community College. Todd spent 18 years uh, at the helm of, of Sussex Community College, 324 wins. Uh, 250 of his players moved on to, to go to a four-year, four-year program. Um, and now Todd is currently uh, Director of Admissions at Sussex. So, Todd, welcome on. Well, thank you for having me. Jared, right. uh, you're the one that, uh, that knows Todd a lot more than, than I do. So uh, how do you want to start this thing off? Yeah, uh, really, really appreciate Coach's time. Uh, we were joking before the show started that uh, we haven't spoke on the phone or seen each other in about 12 years, maybe even longer. So to reconnect is a special moment for me and what we're doing at the tap house. So um, quick shout out to coach Todd. He was the only uh, college program to offer me out of high school. So I'm forever grateful for that. Uh, don't know what you saw in me at that time, but it's been a blessing, man. So thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Hardworking kid who loved the game. That's what we saw. So my pleasure to be here and love what you guys are doing. Cool. So take us through a little bit uh, what you're doing now in uh, in what is it, the high school uh, world? Yeah. So uh, I, I stopped coaching in 2011 at the college. Uh, we had a 37 and 16 year, one game away from going to the uh, district finals. So great year and uh, kind of focused in on my family a little bit. And uh, about three years after 2011, I ran into uh, a young man that I coached in high school who happens to be good friends with my younger brother. And he's a football coach and asked me if I'd have to get back into coaching football. And I said, absolutely. And it's been about five years. And this year at the same high school, I'm coaching football I'm back into coaching baseball, which I have missed dramatically since 2011. So uh, we had a big win yesterday. We're three and one right now. So uh, excited to be back coaching baseball as well. So that's kind of where I've been the last five years. Great. What, um, what was the last year like for you in 2011? Well, it was kind of an up-and-down rocky road for us because we were going through, enrollment-wise, we were going through a tough period at the college. And I had known early in the year that baseball was on the chopping block, that they might get rid of baseball. And I, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my wife. I didn't tell my coaches. I didn't tell my players. Uh, and uh, we just had a great season. We had great kids, great program, and uh, made it to the region final four and lost in the championship game. And uh, coming home that night, I got a phone call from, uh, from my boss saying that he needs to meet with me in the morning. And to make a long story short, it wasn't baseball that they were going to get rid of. It was me. So to make a long story short, uh, you know, I had to fight for my, for my job and I actually won. And, you know, but the bad news is, is even though I showed the president up that day, 
uh, let me keep my admissions job, but they took baseball away from me, which was my passion and my heart. So um, it was kind of rough, but uh, all in all, our season-wise, we know kids, a lot of talent. Um, you know, we had five kids who could throw 90-plus. Um, you know, just right from the beginning of the year, we, we knew we were something special that year. Um, and, uh, we just kind of, kind of went through that process. Had some kids from your hometown of West Milford and, um, in green and Billy Miller. And those kids were special and had great years for us. And it, it was just a special year for us. Everything kind of came into place as far as the team concept. Yeah, right on. So could you make an argument that, uh, myself and Scott McDonald were kind of like a gateway to opening up a recruiting line for you in West Milford? Well, I think it all starts with Coach DeJager, who I yes. believe you also had. So John played for me, went to Ramapo, and then went to West Milford. So as a coach, that's kind of how you build your recruiting ties. You start to have, you know, I have currently right now, I have 15 former players who are head baseball coaches throughout the state of New Jersey. So that's where you start building those lines. So you and Scott opened the door for us at West Milford, and we had a huge run of success there. You know, we probably had total about 15 kids come in from West Milford High School, which is out of our county. Um, you know, and that, that continues today. Coach Rom still still gets West Milford kids in there. So we've had, you know, Brian Lazier. We've just had a bunch of good kids that come through there. It's a great high school program in New Jersey. And, you know, it was all started by YouTube. Awesome. Good stuff. You know, one thing that uh... – a lot of coaches like to talk about, or at least we like to talk about with our kids is that recruiting profile. How do you get noticed? All those good things. What, um, what would you say looking back on your career, what were some of the things that you looked for, whether it was character production on the field, kind of, kind of get us into your head a little bit. So for me, it was a complete package. You know, we were looking for all types of kids. The one thing we never did was over-recruit. So we didn't build our program on over-recruiting 10 shortstops coming in the door. So we knew what we needed every year. We went after that. But for me, it was really work ethic and how much they loved the game. Um, and skill level, to me, fundamentally, they had to be sound. They had to be good players. Um, but we knew that we could shape them and mold them and give them the confidence that they needed to move forward. Um, but it really is, what type of kid are they? Are they a hardworking kid? Are they going to make excuses? What's their, what's their mannerisms on the field? You know, you, you can see a lot about a kid when he goes 0 for 3. Does he take his at-bats out to the field? Does he play poor defense because he's not hitting? So those are all things that we, as a staff, tried to look at. And we would start looking at kids as early as eighth grade and keep notebooks on them and kind of follow them through and, uh, and really, for me, it is about that character. And, you know, obviously, they have to play a little baseball and kind of know that. But it really is who they are as an individual and their skill level. We always felt we could take and work on and get them better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Coach, I'd like to I'd like to ask a, a question about that. You know, I, I'm, I'm a West Coast guy. I was born and raised here in, in Phoenix. Uh, you know, so we never had to deal with things like uh, the weather. Uh, we were always out on the fields you know there's always opportunities for coaches like yourself to come and watch us play Mm -hmm. uh you know what what was it like in in jersey you know are you are you following kids into the gym and watching them play other sports like basketball or football to see kind of uh to to grade out their character a little bit as well just outside of baseball or how 
how quick well, was your how quick was your recruiting cycle before it kind of got shut down just because of the weather? Yeah, I think for me in the beginning, I that was all all part of the plan. I think that you had to, you know, you had to go through those gyms. That first three or four years, you had to go through that gym process. You had to see those kids in the gym process. And then as kids started to play baseball more, instead of being a three-sport athlete, they were a two-sport, and then they became a one-sport. So then you could start to see them in fall ball, and then you could start to see them, you know, during during the season and then summer ball. So we, we started to be able to see them more when they started to dedicate themselves to being a more of a one sport. But those first couple of years, we were making a ton of gym visits in early March when their seasons were starting to go because that's really the time you needed to connect with them, you know, when we were start building that program. Coach, when, uh, when you look at today's game versus when – you hung up your hat. What are some of the trends that you don't like about youth baseball? Well, I think youth baseball has kind of, it depends on where you are, I think, in the country. I mean, fundamentals to me are huge. So for me, it's really when I give clinics or I, I'm coaching a young kid, it's really I'm developing their fundamental skills that I'm trying to hone in on. That's going to make them a better player. So one of my big pet peeves is, um, really the game has become long ball. Uh, you know, they're not using a big part of the field and trying to use the gaps and drive the ball to the big part of the ballpark. That's one. Two, the other pet peeve is bunting is a lost art. The kids just don't know how to do it today. Um, so those are little things that I think that frustrate the living daylights out of me. Um, you know, and as I go around and I see youth games and now at the high school level, just how bad some of those things are where I'd like to see youth programs spend a little bit more time in doing things like that. Um, and then obviously with the pitchers, you know, I'm a big fan that, you know, kids and, you know, that 10, 11, 12 year old, they should not be throwing breaking balls. And after breaking ball, I went to go watch a former player of mine, his son, who's 10 years old, we're playing against a team and the kid probably threw 80% breaking balls in his entire pitcher. You know, and that's just wrong for me. I, I don't I don't see the reason the kid won't have an arm by the time he's fifteen. So those are things that I think, you know, that that, that are my pet peeves. Yeah, I have a I have a couple opinions on on both of those. I I agree with you. I think uh, to touch on your first point of, you know, learning a little bit about how to how to manufacture some runs, some team offensive uh, strategy. Mm-hmm. that, that kind of isn't isn't happening isn't being yeah. taught to, to young players i have a theory on why that's the case um you know these families at least down here you know in in phoenix arizona there's a ton of these baseball academies and these club teams and these travel ball teams that you know parents are paying uh <laughs> paying money every month to have their kid be put in opportunities to be playing in front of somebody right everyone's all all, all about the exposure you know, who's going to be watching the games? What tournament is it? How big is the tournament? And so the, my theory is that if you were going to ask a kid to bunt in that game and, and from a parent's perspective, quote unquote, take an at bat away from yeah. him, it's like that's not what they're paying for or that's what they don't think they're paying for. And so then you just run into a bunch of problems where it's like you know, uh, the, the coach is kind of coaching with his his hands behind his back a little bit because they he needs those families to be around and I, I feel like I see it too you know I'm, 
I'm coaching our teams. And there have been times where it's like, hey, this would be a great opportunity to bunt, but we haven't worked on it a ton. And I know that, you know, Johnny's mom is going to be real upset if I sacrifice him, you know, for the yeah, I think, the team. I think that's an excellent point. And you can see that too. Like when you're, when you have a high school kid, you know, who is being seen by a pitching coach and you try to step in and have a conversation with him about just picking up your hat and he looks at you and he doesn't know what you're talking about. That's alarming to me, you know, and these parents are paying all this money, not really doing a background check to see if these guys are credible. And that's a huge problem. I totally agree with you. And I I really think that's where it stems from. You know, all these people are paying all this elaborate amount of money and you're right. They want to see home runs. They want to see quality of bats and, it's the little things, hitting behind a runner or running somebody over. That's that's just not there anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I totally agree with you on that point. And then the other the other point about uh, you know youngsters uh, mixing and breaking balls. You know, we fight that a ton uh, in our facility. Is you know we'll have ten year old kids coming in, and they'll the one of the first questions they'll ask is like, hey, I really need to work on my breaking ball, or teach me how to throw a curveball, and. Uh, you know, we, we don't, we don't let that happen. Um, but I think the, the, the reason why these kids are doing that is obviously because at 10 years old, it's hard enough to, to hit a moving object, to hit a baseball just as is. If you even throw a garbage breaking ball, uh, hitters, the results that you get from the hitters is usually in the favor of the pitcher, right? The, the, the hitter has no idea what that is. And so they swing and miss a lot. And mm-hmm. so it's this false sense of, of productivity by being like, I'm throwing a little spinner in there. And the, the, the kid wants the immediate results and the family enjoys watching their kid be successful. And so it just kind of gets pushed to the side as, as common practice that, you know, an 11 year old is throwing a bunch of breaking balls out there. And I, this has honest to God happened in the facility is I've told a family this this idea that you know hey your breaking ball is not good, it's because hitters don't know what they're what that is yet, and by throwing it now and doing it so poorly at such a young age, you're you're risking injury number one, number two you're not learning how to do it the right way, and so you're gonna get you're gonna get to a spot where hitters have figured out how to hit a breaking ball. And then you're going to get so exposed because you thought at 10 years old, it mattered that you had a, a little bit of spin on that baseball and families don't like, families don't like it when you, uh, when you bring that up to them, it, it's an, it's an uncomfortable conversation to have because the family just wants the kid to have success and they don't care if it's at 10 years old or 18 years old. So it's a, it's a real challenge, I think, to get the younger kids and their families to buy into this, this idea that, you know, I just want you to throw fastballs. I want you to be able to locate. Uh, I'd like you to be able to mix speeds maybe with a little bit of a change up. And I don't really care if that means you get hit now at 10, 11 years old, uh, because that's not, that's not what it's about. It's not about wins and losses at 10 years old. It's about taking care of the kid, teaching him how to do the fundamentals so that when he gets developed, that he's got a shot at actually continuing to throw the baseball. Well, I think you're you're 100% right, and I think that's what it really comes down to today, you know. And uh, unfortunately, you have you have parents who just can't see through that that prospect. You know, they're just, hey, my kid struck out 15 guys today, and 
Um, and that's the problem. And I, I think you're, you're hundred percent correct. On that same note, coach, I'd be really interested to kind of see what parental interactions you faced, you know, at the JUCO level were there, what was it like, you know, were you constantly bombarded with emails, phone calls, you know, talk us through that a little bit. Well, I think as your program grows and become more successful, you start to get more and more of those headaches because the parents want full involvement. So without mentioning names, we had a young man for us who was our number one. And uh, that year we finished 30, 35 and 10, I think we were that year. And he was our legitimate number one. He had a college coming down to look at him in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, against our arch rival County College of Morris. And this particular young man knew that this school was coming down and we're going to sign him a uh, letter of intent, had it all ready for him. And he went out and uh, in the first inning, he just imploded, gave up five runs. And remember, we talked a little bit about your character and showing you all you are on the mound. Well, he completely lost it. He came in the dugout through his glove. I basically decided that was it. He was done for the day. I told him he needed to leave the dugout and kind of compose himself. Make a long story short, we go on 10 run that game and win that first game and win the second game. But the conversation with the father became very heated after the game, you know, and um, became more heated when I politely told him that the school that was here to offer him a I just rescinded the offer due to his behavior. The father started to push my finger and point at me and telling me it was my fault. So, you know, you have those issues at every level you're at. And, um, you know, the bottom line is as a coach, you always have to remember what's best for your team. And we made a decision as a staff that due to his behavior in that playoff game, he would not come with us to the region final four. We would keep him home. And, um, you know, the players were all behind us in that move. The father was a little irate over that. But the bottom line is you have to look out for your team and you have to figure out what's best for your team. Dealing with parents is something that is not a fun issue. I try to not deal with it as much as possible, but you will have those incidences that those do occur. Mm -hmm. One thing that I constantly think about and just to bring you up to speed, I do a lot of the, the hitting training at the tap house. Mm -hmm. And I remember my, it was either my freshman year or my sophomore year with you. You basically put your foot down and said, no leg kicks mm -hmm. on, the, on the load on the front side. Right. You remember that? Yeah. Well, it just, to me, it's about limiting your movement, you know, as a hitter. You know, especially with young kids and even even college level kids, those freshman and sophomore years, there's so much moving going. On. You know, you want that head to stay as level as possible. And kids just can't get that foot down quick enough, you know. And yeah. that's going to throw your timing off and you're going to drop your backside and things just aren't going to be good. So with a lot of us, it was just a decision I thought we needed to make that we need to, we need to just focus on fundamentals and get our hands through the stone as fast as possible. So, yeah, I do remember that. And that's part of my philosophy about that stride is, is try to limit it as much as possible. Yeah, and 
correct me if I'm wrong, but we finished in the top three in team batting average that year. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, we, that has always been the strength of Celtics baseball. And, you know, I was great to have a, a hitting coach and coach Nabisky, who is an awesome hitting coach. And, but our philosophy was, you know, put things in play. And there's probably in my 18 years of coaching, we probably finished in the top 10 offensively in division two college baseball, probably 14 of those years where we were just a couple number one years. I mean, one year we had, we had, we had seven guys in our nine man lineup who hit over 400. <laughs> wow. so, yeah. So those are just, you know, keep it as simple as possible. Yeah. It's funny. You talked about that, Jared, because I just got done watching a documentary on Ted Williams. And I actually went back to read his book that he has the art, um, art of hitting. And uh, I mean, if you want to learn hitting, if you're a young kid out there, want to learn that philosophy that book is the best book that i could recommend to anybody so um it's just a great read and something that i think everybody should read as a hitter and that that documentary is on netflix right now it know? is I, that's I, where, I saw it yeah, yeah that's i actually watched it the other day at lunchtime i'm like you know what i don't even really like ted williams not <laughs> like i'm not a boston fan yeah uh, i mean as arguably the greatest hitter that's ever played the game so um, and his knowledge and his, you know, it's just a great book. Great, great, great opportunity for kids. Cool. We'll get that out to our listeners. The Art of Hitting by yep. Ted Williams, yep. right? Yep. So, interestingly enough, our program with our 15 you guys, every Thursday night from 8 to 9, we're doing mental training. Perfect. Yep. So we have a coach uh, that comes in. Her name is JJ Reed. She comes in and she runs the class and she requires these 15 year olds to read a chapter or two every week Mm -hmm. to try to strengthen the mental side of arguably the most difficult sport to play in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's been interesting, you know, hearing the kids. I'll let Stryker talk a little bit more about that, but. Mm -hmm. Um, have you read Striker? What's the name of that book? Yeah, the the book is Heads Up Baseball. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we're 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 using the two version, so it's a, okay. kind of an updated version uh, yeah. with Hanson and and Revisa. Um, but yeah, so every every Thursday night we go through this class. We're about we're about six or seven chapters through the book now. But what's been great to see is that uh, you know it, not every kid, especially fifteen year olds, not every kid is really going to buy into that yet. You know, I, I remember when I was a kid, it didn't happen for me until I got to, got to college. I was mm-hmm. at the university of San Diego my freshman year and we spent so much time on that stuff. And I had, I had had the books growing up and I had dabbled with them a little bit and I had, you know, the right, the right coaches around me feeding me that information, but it didn't really click until I was 18, 19 years old. So for some of these 15 year olds, it, it, it just is like kind of over their head, but for some of them, they're buying into it and you, you can see it uh, during the games that they're like, they're, they're thinking about that, that Mm -hmm. process. And they're, they're trying to stay uh, in the moment pitch by pitch. And so, I mean, I I love what I'm seeing so far that that group has, has definitely uh, committed to showing up and, and being open to learn about it. And, you know, we're scrimmaging pretty much, I don't know, every other Sunday, 
uh, right now. We're scrimmaging some other academies down here. And, and I, I've visibly noticed a difference in just the way the guys are mentally trying to prepare and compete. So yeah, it, it's, it's a huge piece that not a ton of programs spend a lot of time on, but it's arguably the, the, the most important part of the game, especially as you get more competitive. I think that's probably one of the part of the games that uh, a lot of college coaches don't focus on. So we started, Jared, probably just a little bit after you left, mm-hmm. we started to go through this approach. Coach Sponder started to do some research, and we started having our pitchers start to go kind of what you guys are doing, going through classroom environment, reading some books about failure, about how – how do I overcome failure? Because the game is built on failure, um, you know, and uh, it really started to pay off with our ERA and just our ability to kind of be in the situation and not lose your your focus <clears throat> and being able to make a quality pitch with bases loaded, you know, two outs, three, two count, <clears throat> with a one-run lead. You know, those are things that we kept going through that motion and uh, I actually made an argument with Coach one day that I thought that it should be part of, like, starting at 10 years old, that they should start to be introduced to that so they understand that the game is built on that. And um, it's such an important part of today's game. Um, I, think it's, I think it's great that you guys are doing that. Yeah, thanks, Coach. I wish I, uh, I, wish I had that opportunity when I was uh... – 17, 18 years old, because even when I sit there and I listen to Coach Reed and Mr. Bittner talk through this stuff, Mm -hmm. it literally brings you back into very specific moments where you were like, oh, if I just had that red light, green light mentality, Mm -hmm. who knows what I could have accomplished. Yeah, and I think that's in life in general, and that's the thing that I love about baseball, because it can compare to life. You know, I always told you guys that you know, it's a game and that the game is for a bigger thing in life, you know, and mm-hmm. um, how you deal with situations. And, you know, I'm not the calmest, coolest guy. You know, I kind of lose my my patience every now and then. <clears throat> sure. But I think it's how you deal with those situations and what you do and how your kids respond is 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 great. You know, I always the best comment that I could always tell our kids is that nobody ever wanted to play us because they knew that they were in for a ball game. And as a coach, as your players, that's the best thing you can hear because regardless of your skill level, they knew it was always going to be a tough game because our kids never had that die attitude. They fought to the end. So, and that all starts with mental awareness, being prepared. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. Are you, uh, Obviously, the game's changed. We kind of talked about that a little bit. Do you see any any quote-unquote fads happening in the game? And I'll give you one that I think being debugged as we speak. What's this whole launch angle thing to you? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's become part of a game that, you know, you, we go through the steroid era. And instead of teaching guys to drive to the big part of the ballpark and be clutch and, and instead of hit home runs, look for doubles and base hits, you know, and we've talked about, you know, drop that backside, create a launch angle so you can knock the ball out of the ballpark. So this stat alarms me. So the other night I'm watching the Yankees play the Orioles 
and it was in the seventh inning, and every run up to that point by the Yankees was done by a home run. Yeah. So to me, the game, that's not baseball to me. That's Kong ball to me. That's being the most strongest group of people and hitting the ball out. But to me, the game is more about, you know, moving guys over, putting guys in scoring positions, scoring runs when you're least expected. And to me, that's that's just gone. It's just crazy. It's just one of those things that the game, you know, changes every 10 years, it seems like, that there's a new bat and velocity, exit velocity and launch angle. And all we are doing is setting kids up for failure because those gentlemen have special skills. And we're teaching kids now to have launch angles that's not going to help them. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't I don't think we've brought launch angle up at all. So I'm glad we're yeah, on the same page something there. That, teach kids to use the big part of the ballpark, hit the gaps, spray the ball all over the ballpark. Yeah, one thing one thing that uh you know we had a our last episode was with a uh, a pitching coach with the Texas Rangers and I asked him kind of, you know, what is what does the next five to ten years look like? You know, where are we headed? as as a game uh and you know I, i'm in agreement with him that I, I don't think that's changing anytime soon if anything it's just going to continue to to move in that direction of you know get bigger uh get stronger try to hit the ball as as hard as you can as far as you can try to throw the ball as hard as you can um i don't think that's changing I, i'm not i'm not going to say it's necessarily uh, a bad thing but i think where the the disconnect is with the youth baseball is that they look at those guys and they say, well, I can do that. Um, I I don't, we try, we try really hard not to draw comparisons with, you know, a 13 year old player and Mike Trout because Mike Trout is, is one in a bazillion, you know, like those guys are so elite and so special that I don't even know if they know what they're doing. They're just, they're they're so talented that they can just do what they do you know and so it's it's an interesting conversation to have because you know youth baseball players it's like i just want you to play fundamental baseball because that's where it starts and if you are one of those guys that has this god-given ability to do some things that nobody else can do then there will come a time where yeah those things are going to matter more yeah and i think you're you're correct with that you're just you're you know not everybody has, you know, Sheffield's hand, sp- hand speed where he can swing about 127 miles an hour and, you know, and all those crazy little things that he would do at the plate. And I, I just think that the game, you start off with good fundamentals and you work on there. And I always tell kids playing in the major leagues is awesome. And if you're good enough, you will get there. But the idea is that it's a game to have fun. And if you can get education and play the game of baseball, that's where it really counts. And I think, you know, teaching kids launch angles and telling them to hit home runs, it just, I don't know. We're just setting them up for failure. That's what I believe. Yeah. And like you said, there's a elite group of kids out there and then the other kids will get frustrated with the game and stop playing it. And that's not what you want. You want to build the game. You want to gain interest. You want more and more kids playing the game. Um, and I'm not necessarily going to think that's going to happen over the years with the youth of the country yeah yeah 
what would what would you say to our athletes listening coach about the single most important or you know elaborate as you wish the transition from a senior year in high school to the freshman campaign the game is quicker the game is much quicker when you get from high school to college so think of every team's best player and that's what you're playing at the college level, regardless of really what level you're at, you know? So the game is much quicker. And I, that's why I think junior college baseball is so important for so many reasons, because it gets those kids who may not be ready yet and gets them ready because the game from my, from division three junior college to division two, the game's quicker from D two to D one. It's quicker. And the same thing at the four year school. So, the game is just played at a much quicker pace, um, you know, and I think kids have a hard time adjusting to that, and it takes them a while before. I think that's why you've seen a lot of college programs, teams that are good are senior, junior, laden, and they have that experience. You know, when you're young and you're a four-year school and you're playing all freshmen, you may take your lumps and bruises. Mm-hmm. So what do you? So what would you recommend kids do leading up to that transition? And and part of the reason I ask is we ask a lot of our athletes to show up and and take speed and agility classes and start weightlifting programs and and what have you. And and we stress it to a point where, um, you know, people leave the program because that's not where they want to spend their right. time. And that's going to separate your, your, your really good players from your mediocre players. You knew it. We tried to get you guys in the weight room as much as possible. And, and that's really mm-hmm. where I cannot stress that enough that they just think, you know, Hey, I'm a starting shortstop on my high school team and my club team. And I'm just going to make that smooth transition to the next level. Well, that doesn't necessarily happen. So I think, like anything, like your mentalization and, and all that other good stuff, you have to prepare yourself and understand that the game changes. Just like it did when you went from, you know, 40 feet basis to, you know, what, you know, 60. It doesn't matter. The game changes as you move up the ladder. So um, they have to understand that and they have to prepare themselves in order. If they want to play as freshmen, they have to understand that and work on that by hitting the weight, being quicker. And just going to games and seeing how much the game is, the faster pace it's played at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. I I try to get uh, I try to get families to go and watch. I mean, we 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 have the luxury down here. We've got multiple Division One programs and a ton of really good JUCO uh, programs here in, in the state of Arizona that that kids can go watch those ball games and. Um, I love it when they come back and that's kind of what they say. That's their takeaway from watching a game is just like, wow, those, those guys are physical. That game is fast. Uh, those guys are moving extremely quickly uh, during the whole game. I, I think it's a good eye opener for the kids to realize, uh, you know, just how quick it gets. And yeah. um, the sooner they get exposed to that, uh, yeah, you, you're going to struggle. The, the first the first time you try to play fast like that or you're playing against kids that are faster uh, just just overall in, in terms of the speed of the game uh, you're, you're really gonna struggle it's gonna seem like it's out of control for you but the only way you learn how to do that is to continue to face that type of competition and 
push yourself, you know, get out of your comfort zone, stop trying to play it at a speed that you, that you feel is comfortable and kind of get comfortable with the uncomfortable, as they say. I think that that's a great point. We would, we would take the college, you know, on our spring, on our, on our spring break trip, we'd go to Florida, Arizona and, and, and Jared, you, you know, this, we would play schools from those states, you know, I can remember pulling into Miami Dade and, you know, I wanted our kids, you know, did I think we were going to beat them? No. Um, did I think we could play with them? Yes. But more importantly, I wanted our kids to see what the level of competition is and if they have aspirations, how hard they have to work. But also, it also has a flip side to that, knowing that, hey, you know, we just beat Miami Dade. I can play with anybody in the country, you know, and that mentality as you come through playoffs really, really helps you. So there's a lot of different reasons why. Um, but I think the time you can play better talent, it's just going to make you a better, better athlete. And it's going to prepare you and make you a better, better baseball player. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and from what I see, um, you know, that when, when players are faced with that, uh, that level of competition and they're, they're, they're pushing themselves, there really is a, a defined fork in the road of, is this something I really want to pursue? Because I just found out how hard it is mm-hmm. and how many other players are probably as good, if not better than I am right now. Is this something I'm trying to do recreationally where I just kind of want to have some fun with my buddies? Or at what point am I going to say, like, the only way that I move forward is if I put in the hard work uh, and kind of sacrifice a lot of other things because baseball is the thing that I love. I, I see yeah. it. I see it, I'd say every month where kids are kind of faced with that decision at different age groups, you know, because some kids can last until they're 16 years old before they face that moment. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it happens at 10 or 11. It really just depends on, on your personal skill set. But yeah, I mean, I remember when I was a, uh, a young ball player, I was a pretty good, pretty good player. And I think I was 16 years old the first time I had to face Chris Davis, who's now uh, an outfielder with the Oakland athletics. And, uh, he, you know, he was born here. He, he, he grew up here. We trained together growing up, uh, at, at a training facility, but I had never faced him in a game or had seen him out on the field until I was probably 16 years old. And that was the first time in my life where I was like, Oh my God, like <laughs> there are guys out there that, that do that, you know, like how am I going to compete with that? Yeah. And, for me as a player, I was, a, I was a competitor. I was a feisty kid, uh, and I wanted to continue to play, and I was going to do whatever it took to try to level that playing field. you know. But some kids see that or face that for the first time, and they shut down. They're like, I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't fun. Uh, I never thought it was going to get like this. And so then they, they kind of – that fork in the road becomes super defined of where are you headed? You know, Are you doing this just to kind of hang out and, and – have it for fun or are you going to do the stuff that is going to keep you competitive out on the, on the baseball field? And that separates you at every level, you know, and I think that's a point well said, you know, that's going to, that's going to define who you are, you know, and it's okay if you just want to play it for fun. There's nothing wrong with that. No. Um, and I think at the same time, it also is going to motivate you to get to the highest level that you want to get to. And um, well said, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think I could say it any better. And I think, <laughs> Right there, Coach, I gotta, I gotta throw this at you because it was a pivotal point 
uh, when I stepped on campus, when when the Jager brought me in for our first meeting, one of the questions that I should have asked you was something along the lines of, "How many catchers do you have, mm-hmm. and how many how many are you bringing in?" Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget the first day you were like, "All right, catchers suit up," and there were six of us. <laughs> You laugh about it, but just like Stryker said, like that was a time in which the fork was stuck right in front mm-hmm. of me and I could have packed my bags and just bounced. Right. But the drive and the love of the game and wanting to to be the first from your hometown to to pave a way and all those little things, mm. that was that was a pivotal time for me. And uh I'll never forget those boys. They kind of pushed me, well, it's that, you know, beyond the limits. You know, that's the point we've been talking about. You know, you come and, and realize, too, that out of those six catchers, three of them were recruited. The other three were walk-ons. So, um, but that separates you. And you never know how people are. And that's probably the reason why I was hard on you guys is because I want the best nine guys who are going to go into battle. I don't want anybody to fold their tent or feel like I'm just going to, it doesn't matter. I just don't care. I want to know that if, if it's the last inning and we're down by a run, we are going to do everything possible to win this ball game. And it starts with creating competition and it starts with watching kids go through that process and see who we're going to survive and who aren't. And um, it, it's part of the it's part of the growing up process. But I think, Jared, it helps you more in life because you learned a life lesson there that if you want something bad enough, you're going to work your butt off for it. And no doubt. And that takes it beyond, as I said a little earlier, it's it's really about life skills. It, it takes it beyond that point where I'm not going to walk away from a marriage or I'm not going to. I'm not going to, I want to chase my dream. I want to hold, I want to build an academy for baseball and I'm going to go out and I'm going to do everything that I can possibly do to make that happen. Um, And that's because when you come to that road, you make the turn that's going to be, I'm going to fight as long as I can fight. So. Mm -hmm. You mentioned competition Mm -hmm. in, in your opinion, can it be, can it be learned to compete or is that innate? within your within your makeup i think it's a process that you learn as you start to grow and develop but i do believe once you hit a certain age you either have it at that point or you don't Mm. you know you you've played with some guys in our program who kind of just walked away who didn't you know didn't fight didn't do anything you know and they kind of just gave in and 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 you watch their path in life and that's kind of the path that they do when they hit that road where it's a little bumpy they choose the easier way out. But I think it's, you know, as you're, as you're, you know, I have two daughters and I'm trying to teach that to them. And my oldest one now is she's competitive. She, she knows what it's about. And I think it's that learning process. But once you hit a certain age, I think you either have it at that point. I don't think a 28 year old can get a competitive edge. I just don't think, I mean, it gets grilled to them until they get to a certain point and you either have it or you don't. What I want to do to, uh, wrap this one up today i'm going to go down memory lane a little bit with you and i'm going to give you some teammates from our squad mm-hmm. and i just i just want to hear 
you know, one or two words that you would describe them with. You got it. As a ball player. Uh-huh. The obvious one. He's going to love this. <laughs> Scott McDonald. Uh, with Scott, I find someone who was confused for a while, but when he realized what he wanted, he figured it out. And as a ball player, I think he never really understood how good he really could be. You know, I think yeah. he struggled yeah. with that. Um, you know, and um, I, I, he's one of the kids that I'd like to go back and kind of be like, try to get a push him a little harder to get a little more out of him and see where we could go with that. Yeah. yeah. All right, one to two words. Don't go. Don't go crazy. All right, I won't go crazy. All right, Jimmy Duran. Jimmy Durant, hardworking, dedicated, not that great of an athlete. Oh, interesting. Okay. How about Mike Haggerty? Explosiveness. And I would say, I would say lack of drive. Interesting. Okay. He had not to elaborate, but I think if he had drive, I think he's one of the few kids that could have made it and could have been drafted. No doubt. No doubt. Well, I'm going to follow that up with J.D. Broderick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you were there for that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I tell Stryker this all the time. I've never been in a, a, a place and just think Haggerty and J.D., mm-hmm where you can look at someone 6'6", 220, 230, however much he weighed, with a mid-90s arm, and I was in my third year of catching, mm-hmm. fourth year of catching, to step on campus and see a, a kid with that much talent. Man. Uh, I, my words for him would be probably the most talented arm, second most talented arm I ever had, and – at the time, lack of owning up to his ability. That's fair. That's fair. What about Jay Blanks? Oh, I love him. Uh, I would say gamer. Yep. And I would say once the trigger snapped with him, probably in the top four out of pitchers who've ever played for me. Wow. That's awesome. You said the word snap. Mm-hmm. Anthony Rossi. <laughs> Heart. Yep. Passion. And hates to lose. Yeah. Who am I forgetting? Who are some of your uh, 08, 09 guys that you might stay in touch with? So Zigafoos. Yep, of course. So Zig is, Zig is, Zig is one of those kids who – just loved the game, had great ability, and another kid who could have gone anywhere he wanted to go but wanted to stay close to home. But yeah. uh, he's always has a special place in my heart. He's one of my – you know, we keep in touch today. He's he's just a good player. You know, he's a kid – there's a kid who accepted, you know, as a high school shortstop four years, and we bought him in, and he played third for us. And – uh he accepted that fact and probably the best third baseman I ever had played for me at any level, including the ACBL. So defensively. So that says a lot. Yep. Yep. 
Anthony Hernandez, he's another one. Oh, man. So much talent. Another one. I mean, I think part of the reason is some of these kids come come from environments where they have no parental anything. And that's part of the issue. They just don't know how to handle themselves. And he's a kid who was gifted with a lot of talent and just couldn't figure it out. Yep. Yep. How about Dexter? Jay was, Jay was one of those kids who easy go lucky. You know, he played the game because he loved to play it. He wasn't going to get in the weight room, but I would say athletic, smart, Mm -hmm. knew how to play the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forget the guys you played with. Say that again. I forget some of the guys you played with. Sean Corley, yeah, was one. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, That was a good exercise. That kid could pitch. If he was on and he wasn't, didn't have a rough night the night before, <laughs> he, <laughs> he could. He could he could pitch. He could play with anybody if he if he was focused. Yeah, I remember times where we were in tournament play, right, in the playoffs, and he was the kid, if he threw seventy pitches a day ago, mm-hmm. he'd be mad if you didn't give him the ball. Yeah. Yeah. So you and you were the year that, that we, we had the lead against Dell Tech. Yeah. The ball went through Hernandez's leg and they won the game. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that game haunts me to this day because we didn't have rigs. Yeah. Yep. We fell off the back of the truck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, man. Rigsy. Yeah. I didn't mean to go down that uh, memory lane there, Striker, but uh, <laughs> it's always good reminiscing with the old ball coach. It's been a long time since you guys uh, have spoken, so don't be don't be sorry about that. I'm glad the I'm glad the Tap Baseball Podcast could bring you guys back together to to have this conversation. It's been great. Yeah, absolutely. Coach, any, any closing words from you? I guess my advice to, to the youth out there is find yourself good people, surround yourself with good people, good coaches, taking everything they say. Baseball is a game. I, uh, I'll be 50 in a couple months and there isn't a day that goes by that I don't learn something in the game. So never assume that you know everything because there's always something to learn in the game of baseball. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to end it right there. Uh, Jared, coach, definitely appreciate the time. Uh, you've been listening to the Tap Baseball Podcast. This is season one, episode four. Uh, hope you enjoyed it, and uh, make sure you subscribe to our iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts. Uh, or you can find us on our website, www.thearizonaprospects.com and click on the podcast link. So thanks for sticking with us on this one and uh, have a great day.